Coming up today on the Lockdown Hornets podcast, Rick Bennell from the Charlotte Observer joins us once again to talk about a potential NBA return. Also give us in this week's Hidden Hornets history edition, the top five free agent signings in Charlotte basketball history. And the No, no, he's, yeah, he sits on the bench and he leans over to Steve Kerr and he says, shouldn't have gotten the meat lovers. You are Locked On Hornets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. In a minute, cuz, we live. This is Locked On Hornets presented by Built Bar. Use promo code LOCKEDON on BuiltBar.com and you can get $10 off of your first box of Built Bars. Again, that being at BuiltBar.com or part of the Locked On Podcast Network. It's your team every day. Local experts on the number one daily sports podcast network. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast and follow us on Twitter at Locked On Hornets. As we do every Monday, we will now head uh, to the guest line. Rick Bennell from the Charlotte Observer joins us. You can find him on Twitter at Rick underscore Bennell. Rick, thank you so much for your time once again. How are you? I'm terrific. Thanks for asking. Yeah, absolutely, Rick. Uh, I'm glad you're with us once again. Want to talk, got a decent amount of content to get to. I know that they've been airing some of the classics games and Hornets franchise history on Fox Sports Southeast. I know you were tweeting about that a little bit this weekend. Last Dance Thoughts we'll get to as well. But first, let's talk about the NBA turn. There was reported optimism within the NBA last week. At least that's what was reported based on Adam Silver's feeling, some of the talks that they may have had within the governing body and the players. What kind of optimism do you have regarding the NBA's return and based off what you read last week? Well, one of the things I'm impressed by, but not surprised by, because I think this is, I think Adam Silver, as opposed to his predecessor, and they both did great jobs, but um, I think Adam is by nature a conciliator. And I think that he is really making sure that the players feel like they're not just a stakeholder, but they're going to really have some say in how this is done. Uh, I thought it was very smart of him to explain to the players now that probably the most efficient, safest way to pull this off is to have everybody go to two venues. It's It's been taken for granted that um, Orlando, because Wide World of Sports is there, and Vegas, because, you know, let's face it, guys, they have massive infrastructure there. Um, would be the two logical places to sort of use as pods to use an NCAA tournament um, term. Um, I don't think we are going to see NBA games in home arenas. I don't think it's a particularly practical thing to do. Um, I have said that I think there's an 80% chance that an NBA champion will be crowned in some sort of a playoff tournament, whatever you want to call it and a 20% chance that regular season games are played. No, I, I think that's I think that's dead on, Rick. I'm, I'm reading this article on ESPN from Jeff Passan talking about the, the, the article is titled The Immensity of MLB's Plan to Return Through a Daunting Health and Safety Protocol, and apparently their protocol is 67 pages long, and that's for a sport in, in Major League Baseball that you're not even getting really a lot of player-on-player -player contact. I mean, I have to imagine – that when the NBA figures out how to return, they're, they're going to have to have even more or stricter regulations uh, because there is so, so much exchange of uh, sweat and all these other bodily fluids that could lead to uh, an infection. Uh, it just seems like this is going to be a really difficult thing for the NBA to figure out. 
You know, um, Doug, when I saw the uh, all that stuff that MLB was putting out, and I saw the part about telling baseball players to stay in their rooms on the road when they're not playing. Uh, you know that great meme of the woman drinking coffee and spitting it out because she's laughing so hard? Um, you don't tell baseball players not to go out after games. That Trying to enforce that would be just hilarious. It would be like Charles Barkley in Barcelona ridiculous. <laughs> All trying to social distance and not exactly, I, I think, being successful if they were to try to implement that with baseball. The one way they can do that, obviously, is by not having fans. NASCAR operated with no fans this weekend, and I thought the broadcast was very good, but completely different sport than some of these other team sports that you have regarding them actually sharing a playing field at the same time. I guess you could do team sports, pit crew, whatever. I just think that's going to be so different with the NBA, Rick. And when we talk about fans feeling comfortable returning to some of these games live, you know, uh, how much do we have to try to gauge how comfortable fans will feel? Just, just your overall thoughts on uh, the presence of fans at an NBA game and the kind of effect that might have on the game itself. Uh, two things come to mind. One, um, I totally agree with you that um, fans not being in the stands in Darlington, I don't think it particularly affected the drivers much because by the nature of that sport, you know, you're really happy the fans are there. And NASCAR has this wonderful tradition of being very interactive with their fan base. But, you know, you're you're separated by from them by a wall that keeps cars driving, you know, an excessive speed from going up into the stands. So, you know, the fact that the Darlington was empty, that I don't think that changed a lot. Um, by comparison, I think it's fair to say that the NBA is the most intimate of major team sports. Uh, the fans are closest to the action. Uh, there's all kinds of by-play typically between um, players and, and, and fans. I think playing an NBA game in an empty, uh, an empty arena and more likely – um, an empty practice gym kind of setting um, is going to affect that sport much more than if there are not fans uh, at a NASCAR race or at a golf tournament. Yeah, Rick, I watched a little bit of that NASCAR race. And the one thing that um, stuck out to me is that you didn't have any shots of the crowd. And it's something that I haven't thought a lot about when watching sports, but something that I did think about once it was gone. And it reminded me, I was reminded constantly while watching that broadcast that we are living in such a strange time and that things are are um, just really, really bad in, in that respect. And, and that's what I think is going to be a big challenge to overcome for all of these sports leagues as they come back is all of these regulations that they're putting in and all of these precautions that they're putting in and, and not having fans. As a viewer... You're just going to be constantly reminded of what you can't have. And, and to me, that, that runs counter a little bit to what sports is, sort of the ethos of sports or what it's supposed to be. You know, Doug, um, I've been doing a bunch of news side stories during the pandemic. And so I've been talking to a really wide swath of people at times. Uh, I was on the phone with the head of the Charlotte Symphony, and she was talking about how um, – Having their patrons feel a level of comfort, particularly when, you know, those kind of concerts, you might be buying tickets for your 
grandparents. You you might be bringing your children to a to a family concert. Right. Get it. It's not good enough to just do what the CDC tells you to do. Mm-hmm. The way that she put it, and I think this word's really key. Creating a level of comfort with the safety measures you're putting in to get people to come back to gatherings is going to be a real challenge for everything that we um, define as entertainment, sports, or the arts. There are going to be people, we I'm sure each one of us knows examples of this, who are so sick of being cooped up after two and a half months of this that they would run to anything to see a live sporting event there are other people i think that the complete opposite of that scale if you're a if you're a parent and you have three young children um what's it going to take and how long is it going to take for you to be comfortable to bring your family into a setting where it's unavoidable that they're going to be crisscrossing with all kinds of random people Of course, because we don't have live sporting events all that much, especially we have zero with the NBA and the NFL, other leagues as well. We are airing some classic games like the Charlotte Hornets uh, and what they're doing on Fox Sports Southeast. Rick, I know you were tweeting about those classic games as they were airing this weekend. You tweeted about Zoe's emergence as the team's best player, even with LJ still on the squad. Rick, what do you think the gap was between those two and their time with Charlotte and maybe even beyond? Um, you know, Walker, by the time that the ink dried on Larry, Larry's $84 million contract, um, Zoe was lapping him. Uh, and Larry was a really good player before he blew out his back. I'm not, I'm not, I don't mean to suggest that he was anything short of a terrific all-star level player, but, you know, Zoe's a Hall of Famer for a reason. And when they signed Larry to that contract, which at the time was precedent setting, all that did was set a floor for what um, Alonzo Mornings and David Fox and John Thompson's expectations were going to be. And, you know, there, I know, Walker, because you and I have talked about this in the past, I think you could say that hypothetically, if Zoe stayed and that, that team stuck together, is that the greatest what-if of NBA um, in Charlotte history? I think the only thing that would compete with that and I do feel strongly about this, is how much would the the modern team's fortunes have changed if that horrible seven-win season resulted in them getting Anthony Davis? Completely agree with you. That's Rick Minnell from the Charlotte Observer. We have plenty more from him in, in, in his uh, Hidden Hornets history segment coming up. The top five free agent signings of all time in Charlotte history. We talk about that next year, Locked on Hornets. All right. Rick is going to hang around for one more second. Top five free agency signings. I'm really interested in this, that there's five top free agency signings in Charlotte Hornets history. <laughs> He's got that coming up. But first, got to tell you about our sponsor for the month of May, Built Bar. Uh, These protein bars are like no other protein bar you've ever had, uh, basically because they actually taste good. Uh, They're 100% chocolate on every bar. They have a ton of flavors, including dark chocolate cookie dough, mango and peach cobbler coming out in May. Uh, It's May 18th. Oh, my God, it's May 18th. That means that peanut butter, banana, pineapple, upside down cake, coconut, pecan pie, and blueberry lemon protein bars are coming out. And by the way, they're also healthy. They have way less sugar than all of the other protein bars that you've been eating. So ditch those, get a built bar, and load up with all the different flavors so you can find your favorite. 
And you get $10 off if you use our promo code. Go to BuiltBar.com, use that promo code. You get $10 off your order. I know, Walker, you've been digging these protein bars, keeping fit in the quarantine. So I thought I was going to talk about how for the cookie dough flavor to drop. And then you mentioned all the other flavors, peanut butter, banana, some of the other cobblers that you were mentioning. I had no clue that all of, the, uh, all of those were coming our way. I'm really excited for all of those flavors. And I will be getting another Built Bar soon, Built Bar box, I should say, because this one, Doug, it's almost empty. Yeah, I mean, here's the deal. Uh, if you want to lose weight and also like indulge in something that tastes good, I mean, how often do we get that opportunity to do something that helps us lose weight and actually taste good? Then try a Bilt Bar. Again, go to BiltBar.com. Use the promo code LOCKEDON. You're going to get $10 off your first order. Use that promo code LOCKEDONBiltBar.com. This is Locked On Hornets. I love leftovers, by the way. Huge leftover guy. Oh, man. Dinner dinner for lunch. I love that. Leftover dinner. Swing it into a lunch. Maybe even to a breakfast if you're feeling goosey. It's time for more of the Locked on Hornets podcast. Rick, before we get to the top five free agent signings in Hornets history, because the last dance ended last night with final episodes nine and 10 airing, just wanted to get your overall thoughts on maybe the last two episodes and the documentary as a whole. Uh, I thought it was great storytelling. Um, And I mean, that may be obvious, but what I mean by that is... um, this was not a perfect format, obviously, because Jordan was going to ha- and, his, and his people were going to have a lot of editorial control um, because they owned all the footage. Um, but I thought all the important um, issues were addressed. And one thing that I found interesting was that Michael and I mean, you know, interviewed in the modern day, Michael was talking about how much he would have liked to have had the opportunity to defend that title and go for seven. I don't doubt that he feels that way now. I'm wondering if, if Michael in 2020 might've had a bit of a, of a different opinion than, than he would have had at that time. And I mentioned that because it was so obvious that not just physically, but emotionally, he was exhausted by what had to happen um, to drag that team to the finish line. And, I kind of think everybody needed to take a breath. Um, it was very good for Phil Jackson to move on and coach the Lakers. Uh, Scotty Pippen finally got paid. And and I think Michael, in all candor, I don't think he would argue with me about that. At that particular moment, he was burned out. And I'm not sure if asking him to come back and do it again necessarily would have had the happy ending that uh, maybe in 2020 he he thinks it would have had. Uh, real quick, Rick, before we get to these uh, top five, uh, Michael Jordan versus Miles Bridges. Miles Bridges has put the uh, challenge out on Twitter. One-on-one, Michael Jordan, Miles Bridges. Who you got? Michael doesn't want any part of, <laughs> of one-on-one, two-on-two, or anything on anything with 20-year-old NBA players. Uh, I have been told that day that he went out and, and you know, fooled around in practice, you know, several years ago. The next morning, the way he felt was a significant reminder that that was a long time ago. All right, it's time for everybody's favorite segment here on Locked on Hornets during the pandemic. It's time for Rick Bennell's Hidden Hornets history. It's the top five free agent signings in Charlotte basketball history rick what is number five according to you 
Well, by the way, this is going to reek of of underwhelm. <laughs> <laughs> they they're not known for their free agent signings. I love you know, these names already. Number five is a great one, Rick. Uh, share but, I mean, share with the listeners who number five is. I mean, the, the per, by the way, the person who didn't make the cut was Kurt Rambis, who was a pretty significant, you know, original Hornet. But anyway. Uh, and, 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 and tutored the great Dave Hoopin, as we found out last week. That's right. You know, I'm not sure whether you brought this up with Dave, but you know, the nickname of his high school team was Bunnies. That's right. No, I did. We didn't get a chance to dive into his high school career or, and I want to dig into this with him next time he's on the show or his college career where he goes to Nebraska and no starter the year previous to him was over six feet, six inches tall. And he comes in all six eleven of them. So we're going to get to that, Rick. Don't you worry. Okay. Number five. Kenny Gaddison. Yeah! The Gatman. Might be too low. Five. Too low. Uh, the Gatman, yes. Doug would have him number one if he were making this list. Uh, why does the Gatman come in at number five, Rick? Um, I mean, this is a guy who was a street free agent who made the team who ended up making over 100 career starts and made for one of the great quotes of Hornets history, which is Larry Johnson with fire in his eyes when he heard that one of the ways that they were going to find the cap room to sign Alonzo was to trade Gat for nothing, said, quote, you trade Gat, you trade me. Excellent. Um, also, <laughs> I believe Kenny Gaddison drafted five spots ahead of Dave Hoppin in the NBA draft where both of them were selected. So That's just true. another reason to find a way to talk a little bit more about Dave Hoppin. Number four, Rick, on your list, who's the fourth best free agent signing in Hornets history? Um, the guy, by the way, he, this is the guy on the list who spent the least time with the Hornets. But when he was here, he made a real difference. Jeremy Lin. For sure. Was a part of of the seven game series against the Miami heat and then led to the Hornets that off season, making a bunch of bad deals with players that were just okay to decent. Why does Jeremy Lin come in at number four? He could play two positions. He was, um, yeah, he made a big difference on that team that came out of nowhere and, and won 48 games. Um, and I'll tell you something that was that, Steve Clifford pointed out to me that was really interesting. Steve always is one of those coaches who always says you don't really know players until you see them up close and coach them. Um, Cliff pointed out that Jeremy Lin is ridiculously strong, particularly lower body for his body frame. And that allowed him, you know, all those little back end moves he had. Steve mm-hmm. was just amazed how, you know, people couldn't make him bounce because from the hips down, he is ridiculously strong. It's all in the hips. Jeremy Lin coming in at number four. Number three, Rick, the best free agent signing in Hornets history is David Wesley. Oh, no, yes. Yeah. It's a great one. Uh, why is David Wesley number three? Well, we all know the hardest position in the NBA to fill is point guard. Uh, David did it very well for a long time. And when they were fortunate enough to jump up in the lottery and draft Baron Davis, he adapted to playing with BD. Um, You know, David, for somebody who, you know, might have never played in the NBA or or maybe some guy who would have spent like, 
you know, 20 games on a, on a call-up or be like 10-day guy. David put together a decade of really solid NBA basketball, and the vast majority of that was with the Hornets. Yeah, I love me some David Wesley. Excellent addition here in the top five free agent signings, but only comes in at number three on Rick's list. Who comes in at number two, Rick? Marvin Williams. Marv. Oh, I miss him already. I miss him too. I'm glad that he's with the Milwaukee Bucks, but now I'm sad that maybe this championship chance is going to be taken away from him given the pandemic. I hope that doesn't happen. Williams, Rick, why do you love him enough to put him number two on this list? What he did on the court, what he did off the court, his longevity, uh, the fact that he reinvented himself as a three-point shooter and made him really value valuable as the game evolved. You know, I think you could argue that Eddie Jones is the most underappreciated Hornet in the in, in the history of the NBA in Charlotte. You could make an argument that Marvin was is the second most underappreciated Hornet. Love Marv here. Uh, it's why, I mean, how many media awards did he win, Rick? Uh, how, I mean, good God. I mean, I felt like he had, at least he won a couple in his short stint here, right? Well, that's basically because I control the voting on you know, <laughs> <laughs> shenanigans. And I'm with it. I'm with it as well. All right. Number one, Rick, the best free agent signing in Charlotte Hornets history is. Come on, guys. <laughs> this is the yeah. most obvious thing in the world. Al Jefferson. <laughs> the one and only Big Al controlling the paint. Left block. <laughs> <laughs> had the best marketing campaign, I think, in Charlotte NBA history with Big Al's pain, as Doug just mentioned. Also, the only All-NBA uh, member uh, uh, who to wear a Charlotte Bobcats uniform. Al Jefferson, really, man, a relevant dude, right? Like, actually helped the Bobcats become relevant uh, post-Gerald Wallace. What, what, what are some of the other reasons that you have, Rick, why Al is number one? Um he made them look credible when they when they successfully convinced him to sign here. And a lot of that, by the way, is was Kemba's doing. Um, they you know, Kemba and and he share an agent. And Kemba really convinced Al how much they wanted him, how much they needed him, how he could really trust being a fixture here. And they, you know, that's that's the pitch that they made. That is how they used him until Al's body started falling apart. Um, he was a hugely important part of the team. And and by the way, you want to talk about a dinosaur. Um, I don't know if we will ever again see a, such such an incredibly effective um, below-the-rim post-up score ever again in the NBA. I asked, you know, I asked Borrego um, about a year and a half ago, I said, do you ever see things getting cyclical where um, a team goes back to having a true, you know, what we, what we, you know, conventionally describe as a post-up offense, you know, inside out. And he said, no, I do not think that will ever come back. And I said, why not? And he said, because nobody in high school is being taught the skill set where those where where really skilled low post scores with their back to the basket will ever fall into your lap again. Yeah, Al Jefferson, an awesome player, and you're right. I don't know if we're going to see any anything like that again. I remember Paul Pierce dis, uh, discussed how Al Jefferson had the best post moves of anybody in the NBA at that time. That Paul Pierce made those comments. And Rick, I real quickly before we get you out of here. I did an interview with a radio station about Michael Jordan and the Charlotte Hornets slash Bobcats inability 
to get free agents in this market, that if they're going to get talented players, it's all going to be through the draft. And they were asking about Michael Jordan's cachet and why that doesn't hold enough weight to get some of these free agents. Of course, money talks, opportunity talks, as well as the ability to become a good NBA team. You know, what is it going to take for Charlotte? Is it going to take those things? I mean, I mean, do you ever view Charlotte as a attractive uh, free agent destination maybe in the future? I think you really need to look at San Antonio in the sense that you need to have enough homegrown talent when you're asking people to move to a small market um, that they see a like a ready, you know, ready to wear suit surrounding them as far as as far as complementary players. Um, that's why this rebuild and doing it right and doing it right in a way that's sustainable. I mean, obviously that's important in and of itself, but it's also important as far as an opportunity to better, um, leverage, you know, that cap space. And remember that cap space is not just about this summer. It's about next summer after, after Nick's contract expires. Um, I totally agree with Mitch Kupchak that it would be foolish for them to do a belly flop into um, the free agent pool. Now, first of all, it's just not a very good off season for, for free agents. And second, um, I think Mitch is right that you'd have to, you, you might vastly overpay for players who make a little bit of difference. If you, if you ran into the free agent pool this summer and tried to convince people to come here, I think that they will do something. Hopefully it will be surgical the same way that, you know, signing Marvin was a few years ago, but, um, I don't know that it makes any sense right now to just chase names. We always have a lot of fun with these seg- uh, segments with Rick Bennell. He's from the Charlotte Observer. You can follow him on Twitter at Rick underscore Bennell. Rick, thank you once again for the time. We always appreciate it. Sure thing, guys. Have a great day. Listen, I've been telling you about Blinkist for a long time on this show. It's it's awesome. It's amazing. I use it. It's on page one of my iPhone because I use it every day. Blinkist is amazing. It works on your phone, your tablet, your web browser. It takes the best key takeaways, the need-to-know information from thousands of nonfiction books and condenses them down into just 15 minutes that you can read or listen to. I'm an entrepreneur. I own my own podcast business, so I'm trying to get up to date on business strategy, on getting some more business. There's a lot of nonfiction books out there, but I don't have time to read all of those. I've got to actually go out and make money. So I use Blinkist to get that need-to-know information quickly. Successful people, business leaders, they're all well-known for reading lots of books. Blinkist makes it easy to finish a book anywhere, anytime. They've got an audio feature. You can read the Blinkist or you can listen to the Blinkist. It's really amazing. With Blinkist, you get unlimited access to read or listen to a massive library of condensed nonfiction books. All the books you want, all for one low price. Right now, for a limited time, Blinkist has a special offer that's just for our audience. Go to Blinkist.com slash NBA, try it free for seven days, and you get 25% off your new subscription. That's Blinkist, spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T, Blinkist.com slash NBA, to start your free seven-day trial. And oh, by the way, you get 25% off your subscription, but only when you sign up at Blinkist.com slash NBA. NBA. Go check it out. This is Locked on Hornets. Have you fallen out of love with uh, Lonnie Walker yet, or are you still in love with him? I think there's still a chance. Yeah, I think I there's know, still a too. chance. Yeah. I think he's uh, <laughs> playing pretty well right now. It's time for more of the Locked on Hornets podcast.
Thanks again to Rick Bennell for joining us. Those segments have been a lot of fun. Rick has leaned into the top five list for us, becoming a part of Rank Radio. So it's been a lot of fun to do those segments with him. Uh, Doug, some of the takeaways that you had from what Rick said, maybe about the free agent signing and maybe even just in the first segment that we had him on talking about the NBA's potential return as well as his uh, last dance thought. Yeah, listen, I understand that fans have a desire for Charlotte to be a destination. Why wouldn't you want to be wanted, right? Everyone wants to be wanted. They want Charlotte to be a place that goes out and gets the big names and 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 makes the big splashes. Uh, but frankly, it's not going to happen anytime soon. And I think even if it were to magically happen, I don't know about the efficacy of it. I don't know how much it would help the Hornets if they're still not drafting well and if they're still not making the small moves. One of the big takeaways from the last dance for me is that yes you have to have greatness there's no question about that the bulls aren't the bulls if they don't have michael jordan but you do you do also have to make these little small moves and bring in these certain players like steve kerr's and scotty pippen's out of nowhere i mean he, he came out of nowhere and and dennis rodman taking the flyer on rodman and john paxson hitting big shots to get them titles so like it it was jordan but it wasn't just Jordan. And so this organization has to do the same thing. They have to make the small moves. And I honestly think that they have to approach free agency from this perspective. Which players can we bring in that will help make P.J. Washington better, that will help make Devontae Graham better? It's part of the brilliance uh, and it sort of unintended brilliance. I don't think they were thinking this at the time, but they sort of lucked into the fact that you get Rozier and Rozier and Devontae Graham complement one another on offense. So that has to be the approach. Who can we bring in that can teach P.J. Washington uh, a few post moves, that can teach him to be more a physical rebounder? Like, what are those players that are going to come in and make that difference? Not not wins and losses. I'm talking about what are going to make the players that you actually want to go into the future with better. I remember a Bill Simmons, Dan Levitard interview all the way back when they acquired LeBron James, when they had LeBron James come along with Chris Bosh and join Dwayne Wade with Miami and Bill Simmons pretty emphatically said at that time that they were not going to win the championship. And it sounds like a galaxy NBA brain take that you have to have more than just those three guys that were top 15, 20 players in the league and certainly had two top five guys in the league at that time. Dan was calling them crazy because you had all of those, that, that, that trio, but Bill was like, no, this is going to take some time. They need to make some other moves. You have like five, six, seven guys that are real NBA players and you need more. And here the Dallas Mavericks had quite a deep bench to go to, even with a superstar and Dallas was able to knock Miami out in the NBA finals. You, you do need some of those guys and you were right to bring up the last dance bowls. And even the first three Pete drafting Horace Grant was a big deal for them in the first three Pete to have John Paxson, as you mentioned, Steve Kerr, there was a lot of guys that meant a lot to the Chicago bulls. And even with Michael Jordan, greatest player of all time, Scottie Pippen, certainly uh, deserving of a top 50 spot of all time. Took a couple of other guys to get over an Indiana Pacers team in the Eastern Conference Finals. Oh, and it took uh, a that little bit more than the how Utah Jazz. Uh, Utah, I can't. <laughs> What'd you say? I said, how much did that hurt you to watch that? Oh. You know, you have, you <laughs> yes. have, I, I don't know if you're a Pacers fan, quote unquote, but you have Pacers blood running through you as a, as a, is it an Indianian? What is it Indianian? What is it? Indianian. I'm a pacer. I'm a Hoosier is what it Hoosier, is. Hoosier. That's uh, right. 
<laughs> um, yeah, it was awesome. I mean, I loved that watching Reggie Miller because that's where my love of sports was born. I've mentioned this a couple of times. It's watching Indiana and LA in 2000 and that NBA finals uh, watching Reggie Miller finally get there. I was a huge Jalen Rose fan. So I was ready for episode nine, knowing they were really going to focus on that 98 Eastern conference Finals semi uh, semifinals, or excuse me, Eastern conference finals leading into the NBA finals. That was awesome. And, uh, you know, it, it didn't hurt me because he did that to everybody, right? Like I, I've gotten, a, I got a couple tweets my way for that same thing. Like, no, Indiscriminate. it felt like a win. It yeah. felt like a win to do that against Michael Jordan because he destroyed everybody in the nineties. And the fact that the Pacers almost did it, you know, it goes to speak to Michael's greatness, but yeah, I felt great. I love watching the Davis brothers and those guys uh, with Indiana almost take him down. Are you good with the documentary? Do you feel, do you feel like it's settled after those last two episodes? Do you feel like, you know, Michael Jordan more intimately? Yes, I do. I think we learned some things with Michael. I think that was the biggest about this documentary was that it was too heavily influenced by MJ. We heard that from Ken Burns. We heard that from quite a few people. I think the criticisms are totally 100% fair. I also think that I can, I can answer the question, yes, when asked, did we learn anything the last two episodes? I did. I, I learned quite a bit. I learned about Michael Jordan's entourage, his security guards, the kind of bond that he had with Gus. What an awesome little side story to all of this. That was great. I don't think I knew that. Um, I, well, there, we, there was we, a lot of, we, we certainly learned more about that than his family. I mean, the, the things that I did learn from this documentary, I think are my big takeaways. I still don't know why Michael Jordan is insanely competitive. I don't know sort of what what lies beneath that. I don't feel like there was any indication given in all of the background that we got on him that he was, that turned him into this sort of in, insanely competitive person. He wasn't just a competitive person. He was an insanely competitive person. He made up stories. Um, you know, LeBradford Smith, like he made this stuff up. And then, by the way, I love that the documentary sort of sets up that Michael Jordan will do anything to win. He will do any, and he's a brand expert, uh, branding himself, savvy business person. And then we're supposed to believe, and he lies about LeBradford Smith, and we're supposed to believe this pizza story. Everybody, <laughs> nobody, <laughs> nobody eats the pizza but me. Like that, that's crazy. We, you can't set your main character up as sort of it will do anything, will say anything to to motivate himself, and then be like, no, but believe the thing about the pizza. Um, I do believe that he ate the entire pizza. I don't believe it was spiked. <laughs> and the reason I believe that he ate the entire pizza was because Jason Ayer talked about this in the post show show, if you will, with Jalen and Jacoby. Uh, he discussed that he was talking to other people, a part of the Chicago Bulls teams, and they mentioned that Michael spat on the pizza. So he was the only one that could eat all of the pieces. The reason being was because he got angry at the rest of his teammates for ordering dinner without him. They did so before Michael Jordan could give his input and they just ate without him. And so he's like, okay, I'm going to order a pizza. It's all going to be mine. When the pizza came with those five delivery drivers, apparently he decided to spit on it. So nobody else could eat it. I believe that that absolutely within Michael Jordan's personality realm. It's 100% a part of that. I don't believe somebody messed with the pizza enough to get him sick on purpose. Yeah, I always believe that. I, mean, I just watched this like NBA stuff, uh, 90s basketball reunion. They did this big Zoom call with all these 90s stars, including Shaq and David Robinson. And Shaq just admits, yeah, I made this stuff up about David Robinson not autographing something for me as a kid. 
I just made that up so that I could be mad at him and, and play better at, against him, and he was beating me, and so I just wanted to kind of get back at him. Like, I always believe that the truth, we'll call it Occam's razor, you know, the truth is probably more simple, more mundane than whatever these guys make up. And this idea that like five people, that he orders the pizza under his own name, even though he's super secretive with everything else, including the media and, and where he is and all this stuff, that he that, that people, the guys knew in Utah that it was him and that five people delivered the pizza. Everybody's got the story straight, which is just crazy to me. I think the truth is, I would love <laughs> the, the truth is, I would love if this were the truth, that he just ate too much pizza that he just ate way too much pizza. We've all been there. We've all eaten an entire pizza, right? I mean, I'm not the only one. That's oh, I do it. I do pizza. it frequently. That That's another reason I believe it. It's because I've eaten an entire pizza frequently in my life. You get up in the middle of the night, you're kind of hazy and you have to drink like three glasses of water because you consumed way too much sodium. I just think he he's, he's hugging Pippen at the end of the game and he's whispering in his ear, too much pizza. That's what your conspiracy theory is about Michael Jordan. <laughs> it's not pizza. the fact that David Spurn, uh, David Stern, David uh, David Stern suspended him for gambling. It's not the fact that Michael was actually hung over in that game. That's your conspiracy theory. No, no, he's yeah, he sits on the bench and he leans over to Steve Kerr and he says, "Shouldn't have gotten the meat lovers." <laughs> We're going to be doing what ifs this week. It's going to be a two week long thing. Simple. Uh, we talked a little bit about that with Rick, about what he thinks the biggest what if in Charlotte Hornets history is. And he would also go on to say that it might be not keeping the trio together, maybe even the duo with LJ and Zoe, but that maybe another one closely competing with that is the Anthony Davis snub. The fact that the worst team of all time did not get Anthony Davis real quickly. Uh, Doug, your thoughts on that what if scenario with uh, Rick Bennell as we discussed it? That what if of Alonzo? Yeah, it seemed like you had something you wanted to say about Anthony Davis and Rick Bennell with the what ifs that he brought up. Uh, I mean, you know, we can always look back and and think about what what would have been. I just I think I think similarly about the Alonzo thing that I do to to the seventh championship idea that that Michael that we're all talking about after last night that Michael Jordan saying, "Oh yeah, we could have gotten everybody back together." It's all easy to say, right? It's easy to say if we had kept Alonzo, mm -hmm. you know, what could have been. But I, I don't know. I, I don't know if if that team would have been good enough uh, to conquer the East. Um, and I don't think the Chicago Bulls would have won a seventh championship. I think they were kind of on the ropes. I think the relationships were getting to the point where they were irreparable. You know, Phil Jackson has this thing that he always says that like people, you know, seven years, you have seven years before people really start to drown out the message. And that, I mean, that happened to Steve Clifford. Yeah, eventually, <laughs> you know, people stop listening. And I think people stop believing that it, it's sort of the Sisyphus thing, pushing the rock up the hill. Like it's at a certain point, NBA players, I think, uh, consciously or unconsciously go, hey, uh, this isn't going to work. And I think it had reached that point in Charlotte with Alonzo. He realized that this thing wasn't going to work and he needed to go and make it happen somewhere else. Um, so, that, I, I, yeah, I mean, I get it. I get where you would think that. But I think ultimately um, things happen in Charlotte the way they happened. And the big what if for me is that 98, 99 season. I mean, I just want to talk about that all day long. I just think that's <laughs> go back and listen to Friday's episode where I just outline all of the crazy stuff that happened in 98, 99. To me, that's the biggest what if. Well, you can outline that more as we on with that scenario and a couple more what if scenarios the rest of this. What week. if, what if Michael this. Jordan had just ordered a cheese pizza only? I mean, that's yeah, a great he gets question. 58. He gets, if he goes cheese only, he gets 58. 
It's the great question of our time. That wraps up this edition of Locked On Hornets. Thanks again to Built Bar for supporting the show. Now tell your smart device to play the most recent episode of Locked On NBA, Chad Ford's Big Board, and Hollinger and Duncan. Have a great day. We'll see you Wednesday. Why did I go triple pepperoni? Mm.